I have pen fed, that's a fact. I have pen fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Well, let's get fat. And Sean Anderson. I am a soothsayer. Welcome back to the FCS Football Podcast presented to you by the Believe Podcast Network. You are tuned in to the show where we break things down deeper than just the news. We analyze the film fill you in on everything that you need to know about FCS football. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by my former teammate, Sean Anderson. We have a packed show of 10 amazing running backs that we want to fill you in on so you know exactly who is the best group of FCS backs coming into 2020. Sean, uh, you, you alluded to the fact that right before we were recording that you wanted to break some news about some test results you received. Uh, what, what were those results? Uh, yes, uh, I got positive results for an excellent podcast with the R&R Cats cast. I'd like to thank both Ryans for having us on. That- uh, it was a delight. Um, and uh, if you haven't tuned in yet, tune in. You can find uh, You can find it on Twitter. Both Joe and I have retweeted it. Oh, and I got negative uh, for the uh, coronavirus. I hate that you did it that way. I don't know why, <laughs> but that makes me really mad that you. I'm just keeping did it you on your way. toes, Joe. I don't like it when you do that. I don't like it when you do that. I don't like it when you do that. How come? Because you, you don't have that kind it's of not control. How pro- it, it's not how it's not how production works, and you know it. <laughs> okay, well, I'm sorry that I'm the, <laughs> I, I'm the one sheep that has to defer from the the group. Sheep. Okay. Um, what does that make me then if you're the sheep? Just one of the other dumb sheep. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we are gonna going to Sean. I keep forgetting we're not supposed to bicker. Uh, Sean, we, we oh, we've yeah. got they, they really you know some people. Not yeah, don't don't like that. They also don't like it when we giggle. Um, we have the list of running backs that we want to get to, but folks, if you were paying attention this past week, there was increasing news surrounding not only the FCS but college football. Ivy League announced that there will not be any fall sports, leaving the door open for possibilities for them to participate in the spring for football. That led to some various conferences at the FBS level of all levels to shut out of non-conference play. So now we are at an impasse here. We're at a situation where one conference at the FCS level has, has completely shut down. They will not be playing any games. Uh, wish we knew this back when we did the Ivy League show, which we probably wouldn't have had to have waste our time doing the Ivy League show. We would have been on schedule. That's what we, instead of one week back, yes. uh, if we had done that, it, we would have been perfectly on schedule. But, you know, that that's a pretty uh, narrow-sighted and, I guess, conceited approach to, to the, the situations <laughs> developing with the Ivies. 
Th- yeah, thanks Ivy League for keeping us in the loop. <laughs> also, with these movements by other conferences, we're losing out on big games like North Dakota State, who was supposed to play Oregon. Iowa, Iowa was supposed to play Northern Iowa. Uh, Spencer Brown had a pretty funny tweet in reference to this, saying that we should just go play in the parking lot, uh, which I am all for if, if Northern Iowa drove to Iowa and they actually set that up. In the parking lot. <laughs> I like Craig Haley's uh, uh, tweet of the, um, what's his name, Stephen, the the one uh, one really conservative political uh, speaker. Uh, you know, he does the change my mind uh, meme format. Oh, was, uh, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> COVID-19 was all conspiracy, so Oregon didn't have to play North Dakota State. Change my <laughs> mind. <laughs> and I, li- I like that he pulled that from Facebook, too. Right. It- <laughs> On a on a serious note, though, with talking about this, uh, Sean, I don't want to beat around the bush. I don't want to be overly positive with this. This is something that we have to be realistic with. And I know this might upset some people. This might upset some fans who want to pretend that this whole COVID-19 thing is actually not really a thing. And I'm hoping that some of our listeners aren't people like that. I think that we have good enough listeners that they wouldn't have that type of a philosophy or the type of people that refuse to wear masks, which is why we are at this point right now. But Sean, I would not be shocked if we don't have college football this season. This is not a good path to go down on one conference. Shutting it down is all that we needed for the dominoes to start to fall. Now the, the steps we've seen from bigger conferences is very different than what will probably happen for FCS conferences. There might be a few other smaller conferences, this is pure speculation, that might also have to shut down. Not because they're worried about safety reasons, because frankly, I think some of these conferences aren't really even that worried about it. I was talking to Sean, actually a former teammate of ours and one of our roommates earlier today about it, and he, he agrees with what I was saying, and he can kind of sense it that they're more worried about protecting the financials of the conferences and the schools than actually protecting the players in some cases. So the conferences that can't actually afford to do the proper testing needed, they don't want to risk uh, anything if they can't properly go through the necessary precautions of testing guys every single day, providing masks, all of that stuff. If they can't get within a a strong number of being able to afford that, these conferences are going to keep shutting down. We're going to have a bunch of other conferences, maybe a conference like the CAA or the Big Sky, the Missouri Valley Football Conference. The bigger ones can stay afloat, but I would not be shocked if we saw some smaller ones decide to say this isn't going to work for us. I wouldn't even go as far as saying uh, there. I I remember a a stat I saw in uh, my freshman year of college that was, there are only 20 uh, college football programs nationwide that are that are financially in the green consistently. Yeah. In the green. That's not yellow. I, I mean, if you think of a team in the yellow, that's just, you know, they're doing it, not harming, not really gaining. This, this virus is creating all harm, putting them in the red. And it's putting teams in the red even farther down in the red, which just leads to the thought of uh, how is this even sustainable? How is it possible for for teams that are already in the red to be able to climb out? And then if they decide to try to do it their best, how do they climb out without getting a a ton of people uh, dangerously sick? And the Ivies, I'm sure, no matter how much 
we like to discuss uh, the 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 payments that they can make and the the, the financial stability that every Ivy League school has, which it, it's no shock that they do. They can hire coaches, they can hire um, um, ads, they can get what they need to get. But for the life of me, I mean, we played them junior year, and there was maybe three hundred people in the stands combined between the two of us uh, for a night game. All of these conferences across every realm of college football, I think, are in trouble because the Ivies, they 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 started or every, the small level FCS started saying, "Hey, we're not doing conference play," and then not really much followed. And then the Ivy said, "Okay, we're shutting it down," and then everyone else followed with a step after. So uh, I don't know. Maybe the Ivies are just one step ahead, and now I'm just nervously waiting for the imminent. Okay. We're gonna have to knock over the next domino. An- another contributing factor that might be a possibility too that people might not really consider is the insurance companies that are protecting these programs in these universities. They have a lot more sway in the in these issues than you would expect. If somebody gets sick or hurt, that's the insurance companies that are handling it. And these insurance companies are always going to be difficult. If you've ever dealt with insurance, they are always increasingly difficult. So they don't want that kind of a risk if they have to pay for protecting players or if someone gets sick, having to deal and front the medical costs for a bunch of guys who got sick. Insurance companies are going to, uh, I think, possibly um, have a bigger impact than people would expect. I I am just so not looking forward to the possibility of this actually happening, but I would not be shocked within the next month, month and a half before the season is supposed to start that the season just gets straight up postponed to the spring or not put on at all. I guess we're living in a constant state of fear here. Um, and not constant state of fear, but uh, the, or, unknown. unknown, unknown, which I mean, are you, are you not scared of the unknown then Joseph? Uh, okay. We, are we going that deep with, with these concepts here? I'm just trying to flip it on its side. That's all. I'm just trying. Is this the believe in philosophy podcast? (laughs) Apparently so. You know, I'm just yanking your chain. All right, we're gonna get into some actual conversation. Something that's a little bit more positive after trying to be realistic for a few minutes. I I would like to think that we are probably one of the more positive college football shows out there in terms of being very. being very upbeat and uppity about various things, but that's one thing that we have to be uh, realistic about. Uppity. Uppity. Yeah, well, I think we're very uppity. Bubbly. You don't think so? But bubbly, uppity, same thing. No, Sean, no, no. Upp- uppity is, is, is not the same thing as bubbly. Yes, it is. No, uppity is when someone's acting uppity like they're on their high horse. That's what uppity means. Bubbly means you're being, you know, light. Vivacious. Oh, 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 you're right. Yeah, you're right. I completely yeah. misused that word. All right, well, welcome to a show where Joe doesn't know his words, uh, recording on a Saturday afternoon. Um, Sean, these running backs, we have a lot of them to go over, a lot of big names. I'll hit us right into our first guy, Jamain Martin, the running back from NCAA and t one of the most talented players at his position, one of the biggest names heading into the senior class. Sean, what stood out from you uh, about Martin? I like your two uh, comparisons at the bottom. I like mine a hair more, but yours are also very uh, astute. 
Uh, Martin reminds me a lot of Chris Carson uh, from the Seahawks. They just run uh, with that that broad-shouldered, uh, bearing-down-on-you type style. Uh, Martin's a very patient running back, and he has sneaky elusiveness, which is is very similar uh, to Carson from what I see. When they hit the hole, though, and they want to burst it open, they're going to burst it open. And if he wants to fall forward, he's going to fall forward. Uh, when the ball's in his hands, it's just the decision that Martin wants to make that's going to determine how the play turns out. Uh, obviously, every running back has a role that they're expected to follow, but with Martin, it's I'm going to run this play how is expected, but I'm going to make a decision on how to make that play better. The comparison that I came up with was Jay Jai or Jordan Howard. The reason why I was going with that for Martin is I see him as a runner that is not really tremendously quick to get into that top gear. He doesn't accelerate at a tremendous rate. He's not super duper fast, but he is just a very powerful cutter, a very powerful runner. And once he hits that 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 stretch play, that off-tackle run, that outside zone, whenever he, whenever he has that space, he can pick it up and he's going to run hard and he's going to run heavy. I think that that style of run works well for a team that needs a, a good change of pace, heavier style running back. He's not super big, but he runs as if he is 225, 230 because of the, that, that level of power that he runs behind. Sean, our next player is someone that is uh, one of the taller guys on our list, if not maybe the tallest guy on the list, Julius Chestnut from Sacred Heart University. Incredibly productive last season, and he is actually one of the top returning rushers. I believe he is the top returning rusher from last season because he had almost 1,500 rushing yards. Sean, what stood out to you about Chestnut? I'm going to say it right now. Uh, I'm in love with this guy's footwork. Uh, I have a crush on the way that his his feet move while he is running. They never stop during juke moves. They never stop during spin moves, contact from tacklers, anything. He has – I'll I'll die on this hill. He has the best footwork wow. out of any of the 10 running backs that we are detailing today. There's – you just – there's something so intrinsically delicate about how his feet move when making a a, a juke move or, or trying to be elusive, uh, where they don't, where it doesn't stop his speed moving forward. He's always thinking about what he's going to do after he breaks your ankles, and that's what he does. He just continues running, keeps running through. It's it's uh, phenomenal how well he he runs. Chestnut, I, I noticed the, the footwork, too. That was the first thing that caught my eye. The other thing, too, just strong burst. Burst is a, a, a positive thing for a running back. You want guys that can pick up speed quickly, so maybe not off the initial handoff, but once they hit the line of scrimmage and they make that first cut, how quickly can they accelerate and hit that space in front of them? The best running backs that are more so home run hitters like Chestnut, have good burst, and he's capable of that, which is why he had 1,500, almost 1,500 rushing yards last season. Sean, this is a guy that we've we've talked about a ton and that we are big fans of. He's changing schools. That is Alex Ramsey from the Citadel. Uh, is it safe to say that Ramsey is the most aggressive runner on this list? I wouldn't be opposed to that statement. Care to elaborate? 
I thought you were going to lead into your elaboration, but I will go into mine here. Uh, his acceleration is crazy. Uh, he goes from a 45-degree angle in the backfield, just waiting to hit his hole. And once he gets to the line of scrimmage, it's an immediate 90-degree at 100 miles per hour. It, it He is just waiting and waiting, letting his old linemen do what they need to do. Once they seal him off, the, the defensive lineman off, he's turning on the Jets. And it's it's like a really good boxer who's just baiting you and baiting you and baiting you, and then he gets you once really good, and then here's the haymaker, and you're down, and it's a 60-yard touchdown. And and it, it happens like that on the goal line also, and it shouldn't happen like that on the goal line, but it does. He, he should be 100 miles an hour straight through the gut, but when he gets to the goal line, it's, it's set, bait, bait, and then I'm gone, I'm in six. Here you go, ref, here's the ball. For me, what I always was attracted to with Ramsey is his aggressive style of, of running. He, without a doubt, like I led into, is the, probably the most aggressive runner on this list. I remember saying way back when we did um, the conference preview for the Citadel and we, we brought up Ramsey, I said that if there's anybody I want to get the ball to within the five-yard line and I want to score a touchdown, it's Ramsey. He's going to find a way to get into the end zone he is going to fight, scratch, claw, all of that just so he can get into the end zone. Big running back at six foot two twenty five. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being a little heavier than that at the start of his final season. I, just the perfect type of player you want and mentality in a power back. I know, Sean, our next player is a guy that you're also obsessed with, separate from Chestnut. You have a really interesting comp for him. You don't need to recycle it like you did like when you previously stated it, but I would like you to reiterate this comment on Nichols running back Julian Gums. I will do that. It is probably my most famous comp to date. Uh, Julian Gums, as I have said previously, is like an ATV. And for those of you who don't know what that is because you live in New Jersey and you have no fun with your lives, uh, ATV stands for All-Terrain Vehicle. And Gums runs like you are running an ATV. He is uh, constantly going on one foot or, for the ATV standpoint, two wheels. He is swerving in between people. He is running people over, spin moves, everything. He stays low to the ground, just like an ATV would. And he's just a pure runner. And he's got power. He's got burst. uh, He's got good vision. It, it, It is a comp that only I could think of. But next year, when you're watching Nichols, hopefully, uh, you see him running and you understand where I am coming from. I see the ATV thought there. Uh, I'm not going to claim it for my pick here. Gums is listed at, at 5'10", and I don't think that there's a shot that he's 5'10". He's like 5'8". <laughs> Five wow. foot nine. There's no knock on it. I don't think that's a problem. I, I, I've never heard I, someone who's five foot ten just taking a shot at another well, guy who's five foot wait, ten. Wait. Like that. <laughs> well, I was gonna this say guy? that I. Wait, no, wait, he's I, not I, as tall I, as me. <laughs> you kidding? I was gonna say that I was listed at six foot for my whole career, and oh, I am you, nowhere <laughs> damn close to six foot. So I know that Julian Gums is not five foot ten. He's probably five foot nine. And I think that works perfectly for what he is. At 230 pounds, he is compact, is the best way to describe him. Compact runners are some of the hardest guys to tackle because they're low to the ground, they have a very good center of gravity, and they just power 
through. You're not going to get uh, an arm on a guy that is that low to the ground and that is that powerful and that heavy of a runner for his size. He is like a bowling ball. I know that's such an overly used term for shorter, bigger backs, but a, a bowling ball type runner is exactly what Julian Gums is. I, I That's a good comp. And now, Joe, uh, I'm actually going to lead you into this one because oh, oh. Th- this is one of your guys. Change uh, that up. That is North Dakota State's uh, Adam Cofield. He is five foot eleven, two hundred and seven pounds, and Joe cannot give it get enough of Mister Cofield toting the rock. When you're talking about running backs and trying to evaluate them for the next level, one thing that I feel is an underrated trait that you need to look for as a talent evaluator is contact balance. What contact balance is is how does a running back handle getting hit. So if he's running and someone grabs onto his arm or someone bumps him, uh, someone falls into him, or even as far as someone tries to make a tackle on him and he has to elude that tackle, how does he handle the contact and how does he react to it? If he has good balance, he will be able to completely reestablish his footing and continue to move forward. The best running back in the NFL for contact balance right now is Saquon Barkley. If you want an example of that, go watch Saquon Barkley run. And what he does is is unreal with his, his abilities to maintain his balance. And if you talk to any running back and you ask and, and, and see what they do during the offseason for extra drills, a lot of the times it's balance-related drills. So for Cofield, I was so drawn to his contact balance after one play in the middle of one of the games that I was watching against, um, I think it was Missouri State. I watched him take a ball to the right side and he ran up into a gaggle of defenders into a, a, a big clump that should have been a three yard gain for a number of other guys on this list. But Cofield was able to spin out of that while off balance, regain his balance. This is all while being contacted by defenders and then continue upfield for a huge gain. While on that path, he also broke a number of tackle attempts. His feet were falling out from under him, but he was still able to get back to that original point of balance. You want really good balance. That is very, very key, as well as the burst that I think he also brings to the table. The last little thing that I, that I also noticed about him that I didn't really notice about any of these other guys, it, it really stuck out to me how good of a pass blocker he is, and I understand why they like to put him in in situations where they can use some extra protection. Uh, yeah, uh, I also noticed the, the, the pass blocking skills uh, that he has honed, and my big note for him, you already crushed it. On, on Cofield, uh, run through contact, balance, all of that. Uh, I, I cannot follow that uh, that soliloquy that you just embarked on, Joseph. Soliloquy. Uh, we have big words here on the FCS football podcast. That's what you get when you sign up and believe. They knew they, what they were doing. They oh, yeah. The human thesaurus. <laughs> I forget that you refer to yourself as that. Sean, this <laughs> week we're going we're gonna to hear from Villanova running back Justin Covington he is the next player on our list. So tune in for that Thursday episode uh, to hear from Covington. But that being said, he is our next guy. He had a really, really hot to the season uh, start to the season last year, despite suffering an injury. He had a, a long stretch of games where he was over a hundred yards. He hit that injury and then he wasn't able to finish the season. Covington is going to have a huge bounce back year. And I'm a real big fan of what he brings to the table.
when I look at Villanova and their their team last year, it was incredible uh, because it, it looked like the New England Patriots. They incorporated everybody. Uh, the the running backs. It, it every time that they um they were. I remember the main or the Towson game. It was Covington runs for three touchdowns. I think he only had like like eighty yards or something like that. But other guys had uh, two other running backs had sixty yards and seventy yards. So they just work in every single player on offense that they that they can get a positive play out of. Um, Covington at a school where they didn't. They don't run such a, a committee-type style. Uh, maybe his stats, even through six games, would be even uh, more lofty. Uh, but that's not a knock because Villanova knows how to use him and set him up uh, for the most advantageous purposes. Uh, he's got great speed and balance around the edge. I noticed that also in last year's Towson game. Uh, it seemed like, okay, he's going around outside zone or a pitch. They're, they're going to get him. A linebacker or a safety is going to get him, and you're just waiting for it because they're on the six-yard line. It's not like he's on the one, and he just – Gets to the the goal uh, the um what is it the pylon before anybody else uh, and it, it's just by a foot or two feet but those two feet matter that's six that's that's six points right there for Covington and it, it's just such a, a a weird but super underrated facet of his game is his ability to to run and find the perfect angle around the edge. Sean, let's continue on to another CAA running back. He is another. Bowling ball running back Carl Mofer from Albany, five foot eight, two twenty-five. I I don't know why. I don't know what my obsession is, but I am I'm a big fan of of running backs that are low to the ground, very powerful centers of gravity. I didn't think he was super fast, but what he does have is very low, powerful, consistent steps that correlate with a strong leg churn. Being explosive downhill is what makes him such a good asset for that Albany offense. Yeah, it, the, Mulfer looks like he is, or he does a lot of beach training. Yeah, the leg churn that you alluded to is is it's just you watch him run and you're like, oh, that's that's him literally throwing himself three yards forward with his back foot. Some running backs you just see them almost look like they're floating. Mofer looks like he is just doing a, a leg press every time his, his foot touches the ground. And it's, it's remarkable how, how well he did for not being uh, that light-footed of a running back. But it's a great style, and Albany knows how to use him well. We're approaching the last few guys on our list. We have to include a man that is one of the more dominant running backs in the FCS, a guy who two straight seasons has found tremendous production despite missing some games. Former Jerry Rice winner for best freshman in the country, Weber State running back Josh Davis, five foot nine, one ninety five. I am a big fan of Davis as well, Sean. I, I was so drawn to actually diving into the tape and observing what he is capable of as a running back. I see a guy that that's that glides or slides in and out of rushing lanes when he is approaching the path for where he's going to take the ball. He's not fast. He's not a 4-3 guy. He's probably going to be more of a 4-6 guy if he gets timed at a pro day or a combine, but he accelerates stupidly quick. What makes a, a player like Alvin Kamara so talented, if you recall, he only ran around a 4-6 
at the Combine. But what makes him so talented and why he's such a threat in space is that he has top-level acceleration. He has one of the best acceleration bursts out of any running back in the NFL. You can be slower and pick up speed really quickly and still be really dominant at the running back position. So for Josh Davis, he has that. He picks up speed so quickly. The other thing, Sean, that I see with Davis is he is constantly moving his feet and ready to redirect. He doesn't need to cut, but he's always ready to make that cut. Yeah, I I completely agree. And it almost feels hack to compare him to Christian McCaffrey because, you know, white running back, white running back, fast, shifty, all that. It almost feels hack, but it's so true. Uh, He runs with commitment on inside runs, and that's why you see him breaking off an inside zone to the two hole uh, for, for 40 yards for a touchdown. And then he runs with just phenomenal shake on outside runs, uh, which is why he's able to pick up first down after first down, just because these, these defenders, it's so difficult for them to get a, a clean tackle or wrap on him. So it, it feels hacked to call him the, the FCS McCaffrey, but there's nobody I, wait, else. I wouldn't say McCaffrey. I think actually Camara is a better mm-hmm. comp for him. I honestly think that Kamara is a better cop because McCaffrey so. is a four-four guy. Josh Davis is not a four-four guy. I don't know how long you're going to keep on judging people on their their forty times. You can see how fast Davis is do, uh, is going when he's bursting away from people. You don't get three hundred and sixty-eight yards but, in a but game. But you call them. You, wait, wait. I'm not judging him by his speed. I'm not saying he's slow, but I'm okay, saying well, that I was judging I think, him on on the way he attacks. I, think, the, I called him the the McCaffrey uh, because the way he inta- attacks. The okay. inside runs and right. how he shakes on the outside runs. That's what okay. I was saying. Not okay. not because they have they both have blazing speed. No 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 no. I'm just saying that the way well, he that said they he was approach fast. it. I'm not he's... saying he's slow. Okay. Uh Sean, next player before we start getting at each other's throats. Montana running back Marcus Knight. The thing that sticks out for Knight is his touchdown total. Twenty three total touchdowns last year. Production through the roof with getting into the end zone. I saw a guy that's so tall and lean as a runner, six foot one, uh, up there with chestnut in terms of height, good acceleration, not a lot of wasted steps, just straight line, upfield, doesn't waste any time, gets where he needs to go. I like his vision as a runner, uh, and obviously he's got a superb nose for the end zone with 23 touchdowns in a season like that. You, you cannot leave someone, uh, a player, off the list if he has uh, such a, an insane amount of, of, of scores for, for Montana. They have a guy that coming back next year, it, it would be uh, astounding if he had sub-15 touchdowns next year. So I'm going to put that at the, uh, at the line for him. Would you like to put some money on that? Yeah, how much you want? I don't have any money. Go Sacramento State running back. Elijah Dotson is going to be the guy that closes out this list. Six foot 190. Dotson is considered to be one of the best draft prospects coming out of the FCS next season. He is notable for a different skill set than some other guys. What stuck out to stuck 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 out to me about Elijah <laughs> Dotson is his ability to dominate in space and then on top of that be an asset not just an asset not just a piece but a go-to source in the passing game 
they they used him out of the backfield a lot. There were some plays where I saw him take um, just simple swing passes or maybe an out route out of the backfield for 30 yards to a t- for a touchdown. He's got good hands. He's a very good receiver, underrated receiver, and that's what makes him so highly lauded as, as a prospect. I like his frame. Uh, he looks like he's 220 pounds, even though he's only 190. Uh, I, I, it, that's just so impressive to me. When I was first watching his tape and the genesis of this show – and we were going through this, uh, Elijah Dotson pop, popped up. I'm like, oh, this guy's 230. And it was just, I'm still still bewildered by the fact that he is only 190 pounds. And he, he moves like he's 190 pounds, but he just looks like an absolute tank. And that's a, that, that's a first off the bus guy uh, for me. Sean, let's wrap up today's show with doing superlatives like we did with the quarterbacks. First up, best young player. Doesn't have to be somebody on this list. Who are you picking, Sean? I'm picking Javon Williams Jr., running back out of Southern Illinois last year. 1,038 rushing yards and 17 touchdowns. I fully expect him to be within the top 10 list next year. I'm a fan of Williams as well. I'm going with another guy who was a freshman last year. I'm going with Alum Ford from Chattanooga. He had 1,081 yards and nine touchdowns, so two very talented upcoming sophomores for next season. If you had to pick a player who we didn't get on the list, who would you decide on? I'd go with Devin Wynn, running back from Furman last year, 1,182 yards. And we covered him uh, when we were doing Furman's conference preview. Uh, His running form reminds me, uh, his form itself reminds me of uh, Adrian Peterson's. And I'm not saying he's Adrian Peterson, but it's in the sense of he's never out of control in stride. He's got great moves and a great system for him to keep on, uh, putting up 1,000-yard seasons in in Furman. If we had to pick a number 11 guy, it probably would be win. A number 12 for us, Ulonzo Gilliam, who had 1,200 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns. Jake Mayer is obviously now gone from UC Davis, so Gilliam will be the primary source for production for that offense. Sean, if there was a player you wanted to pick as your favorite draft prospect, would you who would you pick? I picked Dotson because of his ability to, I mean, 742 rushing yards, 702 receiving yards. That Those those numbers don't go past an NFL uh, or next level um, scouting office without raising an eyebrow saying, you know, he can do it that well on both ends. So Dotson uh, for his um, flexibility as a running back. Dotson was my my honorable mention, my second pick, so I'm going to go with Adam Cofield. As you can tell from my argument about him, he has a lot of quality traits that you don't get with a lot of running backs at the FCS level. I think that that is what puts him ahead, especially being a really good pass protector. Last superlative, last bit on the show here to close things out. Sean, one guy, the one guy you want to watch. Who are you watching and who will be the best player next year? Well, obviously, it's Justice Antrim. But if we're going <laughs> for the uh, the top 10 on this list, uh, he's not going to hear that. But I hope he does. No, um, he doesn't listen. <laughs> but from this list, uh, it's it's Julius Chestnut. Um, I, I just want to watch him run the ball. That's, that's all I want to do. Um, you could sit me down in front of a TV and it could be uh, the greatest 
uh, boxing match of all time. But if Julius Chestnut isn't isn't running the rock, I'm probably not going to tune into that boxing match. Um, so I'm going in uh, this season with really high expectations for Chestnut and just really high um, enthusiasm to watch him play. I've got a 1A, 1B for this pick. Adam Cofield is my 1A. You can tell from all the positive things I've said. He is going to be the primary source of carries for North Dakota State, playing next to the best quarterback in the country. That is a very good duo that the Bison have going into next season. Also, my 1B player, I can't not talk about Josh Davis. Even if the guy misses games, he still is going to find a way to rush for over 1,000 yards and close to 10 touchdowns. He had a game where he rushed for 300 yards. 300 yards. He is one of the few players at the FCS level who is capable of breaking open a game like that and completely dominating it with performances on the ground. So now that that Davis is the lone back after some guys transferred, Constantine also transferred, it is all back to him. They're going to hand him the rock, and he is going to be a dominant factor in 2020. Sean, do you have any closing thoughts before I wrap us up here? Yeah, uh... This is something I've been noticing. I've been seeing a big push uh, from Colin Sutrick trying to get the corner locked down for him. The corner, after seeing what was tweeted at us this week, will not be uh, renamed to the Sutrick corner. It is still the Kwame's corner. Uh, Kwame, thank you for tweeting back at us. It always makes my day seeing uh, that that we are able to, um, to, to, to keep you entertained. Thank you, Kwame. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts for, for yeah, we, reminding we'll, us and everybody else whose corner it is. We'll, we'll just not hear from Kwame for a while. And then I'll like make a comment to Sean when we're doing notes and say, when was the last time we heard from Kwame? And then he'll, he'll tweet at us like that. So much appreciated Kwame. Colin, uh, we still love you. It's okay. Um, I think that's all we have though. Thanks for tuning in as always folks for listening to our show. Be sure to rate and subscribe wherever you may be listening to us and follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon. You can follow Sean at Sanderson Radio. Also follow Believe Podcasts at B-L-E-A-V Podcasts. Uh, and also go to their website at Believe.com. Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V <laughs> dot com. Next, we're going to hear from Justin Covington. And next week, we will start to talk about the receivers once Sean is back from his wonderful vacation. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.